Hey, hey, it's Playboys Extra. We're not doing a Shakespeare. Uh, we're doing Doll's House. Um, so we decided to do a modern play. Ooh. I've got both PJ and Alex with me. Can't believe we're not doing Shakespeare. Yeah, I know. Not, not, not Shakespeare. Shakespeare or not even a, a contemporary of Shakespeare. Guys, well, did anyone know they still made plays after Shakespeare? Who knew? <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's a new thing, isn't it? And I'm very amused that you call it a contemporary play. <laughs> It'd be from 1879. 1879, yeah. Very yeah. contemporary for you. Henry Gibson. So, there we go. Exactly, yeah. Well, for He's Dean, still Victorian. Exactly, He's still that's the anything. Hence contemporary for, for Dean's life, right? I mean, yeah, pretty much, yeah. That's yeah true. It's, that's it's true. in my period. And it's Norwegian, but I didn't realize, because when you guys were saying Henrik Ibsen, I was hearing Henry Gibson. So I suppose like an English guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. So it's a play um, we chose. Uh, why I, I recommended it because I was reading it here in Dublin. Um, yeah. But, um, yes. Uh, what, what do you guys think? Um, well, first of all, just your general impression. Did you enjoy it or not? Good play or not good play? Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, There's yeah. a reason Henrik Gibson is considered one of the best playwrights just of all time. Yeah, like, totally. I, I, I loved it. Um I love 90% of it anyway, but I mean, even from the opening, from the opening lines, I, I sort of thought, okay, I can tell immediately. I didn't know what to expect going in. Like I could have loved, it could have been another good but it just didn't work for me. But no, I just loved it from the, from the very first moment, the scene that they set. I just thought this is perfect. I, I love it. It is, uh, it is among the most uh, performed plays worldwide. I think it was the mm-hmm. most performed play in 2006 around the world. Wow. So it doesn't matter if it's Shakespeare or not. So um yeah, so he's often considered second or third most important playwright after Shakespeare. Yeah. And I mentioned this to Dean, but uh, even in school, I ended up directing uh, a scene from this. Did you? So, oh yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, it was so... a scene with Miss Lind and uh, Krogstad. Okay, okay. I was going to ask you yeah. now that I've read it, which scene. That's cool. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, very... um, well, to give everyone a bit of uh, what it's all about, um, before we begin with the story, this just to remind you guys, this is 18... 79 and the movement that's predominant around this period or just starting to arrive is naturalism so it's a type of realism going beyond realism it's realism without the fun it's realism without dickens without balzac mm-hmm. without Corio. it's basically saying well we're this is reality but we're going to show not just reality as in like the whole society including royalty we're going to show the dark corners of yeah. reality. No, I don't know how fun Gorio was. I, I did cry in that one. but Yeah, well, fair <laughs> enough, yes, I suppose. But I feel, I feel like there is a distinction. I feel like realism really often does have moments of, of humor, and a bit it does have in Gorio. Whereas I find there's no humor at all in Natural. There's no humor in Zola and Strindberg in uh, yeah. Ibsen. <laughs> do, you guys, do you guys agree with that? Um, I would say there was no humor in this play. I love, oh, you know, it was a lovely play, and the the early scenes are lighthearted, but you know, there was no attempt at yeah, jokes yeah. or anything. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely lighthearted. I agree, yeah, but yeah, there's yeah. not going to be much comedy. Like, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think of other naturalist authors I've read, though. I, don't, I just don't find they're they're much. They're not much in the humor part, and they really like their. They're really interested in the grim reality of things. Mm. And often it's about the underworld, uh, prostitutes, uh, like Nana from Amuzola. You know, it's often about the underworld. But in Ibsen, I find it's about people he knows, which will be the slightly upper class people. 
who mm-hmm. might have financial difficulties. That's that that is Ibsen's background. Everyone, yeah. so Ibsen, he grew up um, in a in quite a a famous kind of almost dynasty family, not royal though, just just kind of a family everyone have known. But they lost a lot of money, and he basically they lost they lost pretty much everything. And he really had to start from scratch um, or entered the pharmacy um, uh, practice and um, slowly made his way up, uh, tried to um, enter university in, in Oslo and didn't work out. But he continued writing plays and plays. But this is what these characters are. They're often on the surface. Oh, yeah, very well off, but not at all. Mm-hmm. But anyway, should we, should we talk about what it is? Does sure. One thing, though, just story? when you mentioned the lack of comedy, maybe he just wasn't brushing up on his Shakespeare enough. He just used to introduce <laughs> an extra act with a clown who achieves absolutely nothing and then have the characters cross-dress for absolutely no reason and pretend to be oh, someone that... else. Well, maybe he just doesn't understand <laughs> comedy. Like, he's known for uh, directing some of Chekhov's plays and for them mm, to be really? absolutely... Oh, yeah, yeah. And they absolutely bombed. Oh, like oh, absolutely God. detested because he didn't realize that Chekhov's plays were supposed to be comedies. So we did them as a drama. Right. So that's just not his thing. Fair enough. Yeah. Interesting. So, so maybe he just doesn't understand comedy. But Let's talk is... who's in the play, shall we? Yeah. Okay. Let's go. So we've got Torvald Helmer and Nora Helmer. So they're a couple and Torvald has just been promoted to bank manager. So you mentioned they were a little bit on hard times but they have good prospects ahead when he gets, you know, a promotion. Yeah. And um, we have their friend, Dr. Rank. He is a doctor who himself is ill. Um, and he just pops around seemingly multiple times per day and just has a, has a chit chat. Um, <laughs> yeah. Christine sure. Lind, who is an old school friend of Nora's who just appears. And then we have mm-hmm. Nils Krogstad. I suppose we'll talk a bit about him later. I suppose he's the, the bad guy right, for, for much of the play. He's an antagonist of sorts. Yeah. And I mean, those are the main ones. There's a maid, there's a porter, there's some children that really speak once or twice throughout the entire line. They've got three kids, um, I believe. And then there's a kind of nurse nanny type character for the children as well. Hmm. And that's it. Very, very small list of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ibsen, um, Ibsen starts... After after he finishes Peer Gint was his, his last play in verse. So he started off writing plays in verse, which was the fashion in Norway mm. at the time. But he stops drastically after Peer Gint and says, I'm going to try out the truly hard thing. And he thought it was harder to write uh, prose, uh, prose in plays. And what's it's very different to Peer Gint. I love Peer Gint. But very different when you get to adults as he all of a sudden decides to have one single scene and so on one single setting, and I could al- I could already tell reading the book, uh, the play that all right, this is going to be the the, the, the this kind of um, play because Strindberg, a lot of people after this start doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So I just want to highlight that people that it's very it's quite interesting in the sense of always only has one scene. The same was Goals, the same was Hedda Gabler. It's only just one. He's on scene. Sorry, what- I just want to add. What does kind of stick out about that, though, is it's very strange that all these people keep showing up to this house. Mm-hmm. Like, it's Christmas Day, <laughs> and you have Krogstad coming, you got Dr. Rank coming, you got, like, uh, Lind coming. Mm-hmm. It, there's just so many people that just keep going into this house. And then they go to, like, a party later on, and people for some reason, house. they're just allowed to enter the house, <laughs> like, mm. themselves. Like, 
Mm. I liked that though. I mean, I loved that Dr. Wright kept calling in. It just lended some kind of lighthearted frivolity to it. Yeah, People the, the, yeah. yeah it's in very lighthearted. Facts, There's you know? no problem with it. It's just like, why are you in my house? <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Has to mm-hmm. cross like Torvald's mind later on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah, fair. Does. So, should we talk about the beginning? Because the beginning, I think, sets just a lovely scene of what we're mm. supposed to think is just perfect harmony, you know, perfect bliss, matrimonial bliss, a lovely um, scene of a, of a couple. Um, Nora comes in and he, he keeps calling her his little bustling squirrel and his little um, skylark. Um, because she's always, mm-hmm. you know, going around and she sings a lot. I, I guess, you know, he calls her a lark because she's singing, but um, she's a kind of lighthearted little, you know, girl person. They are married, but he does treat her like a child as we go on through it. Um, but she just gives mm-hmm. us the initial impression of a worry-free, happy little girl, essentially, just coming in. Yeah, it's very well put, yeah. yeah. As we established before this podcast, she's around 25 or so, so... Indeed, but she acts as... as um, she uh, acts like a child. She's not a yeah. grown-up, really. Yeah. Well, in what way? In a sense of like, I feel like she hasn't grown up. She hasn't. Uh, she doesn't really have any responsibility, nor seems to accept responsibility. Like they both okay. talk in 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 child's language yeah. in a child's home. That's all I mean. All right. But all right. we could we could say she's being a good mother. So you could say no to that. But uh, yeah, the kids seem to love her. So I think she's a good mother, and I think she's a good wife. Um, but yeah, she's not the most mature person. Um, okay. well, we find a little, little bit more as we go along but. she does have to take on a lot of responsibility as we learn yeah, a little bit true. later yeah, yeah, that yeah, she does yeah. have to kind of work behind her husband's back Which yeah, so I, I think she's more mature than we realize but she's projecting this image of just like a carefree you know skipping through the meadow kind of girl you know with no, no problems at the beginning and, it, and that's the idea of that perfect relationship right yeah that's that's like, what they're going for I guess just all carefree and act one and that's very important. He mentioned so that it starts off in the story that they're all uh, living a happy life. But when a childhood friend of hers pops by, uh, seemingly in, after having suffered some hard times, she confesses that she had borrowed money from someone. Uh, yeah. When when Nora when, does, yeah. yeah, yeah, Nora does. When her husband had been sick and they had actually very little money. Uh, yes. So what happens then? What happens then is that um, it looks all very fine, but Crocsland appears, and Crocsland once is the person who actually managed to get her the money. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, Crocsland is now working for her husband. Since he's got a promotion, he's not his boss, I guess. Yeah. Yes, and Crocsland is yep. worried about it, though, isn't he? Because he's he has got a bad reputation because he's been doing these things. And no one knows except he, though, that Nora borrowed this money, which enabled. Uh, Crocsat's boss, Torvald. Yeah. To become well, it sounds that it sounds like uh, Krogstad ended up like forging a name and uh, even tried to like hide things. So he did some like illegal yeah. things at the bank yes, that yes, yes. Um, he's on the chopping block for. He did some dodgy business dealings. That's that seems to be clear. They don't, as you know, they, they mentioned forgery a little bit later in the beginning. They're a bit vague about what he did. He various yes. kinds of yeah. business is, is yeah. a quotation. Like you know, he did some some things. And at the same time, Nora is trying to get her friend a job at the bank. So, like, I thought it was a little bit almost unbelievable that her friend that she's not seen in many years, Christine oh. Lind, appears 
<laughs> yeah. Okay. And then at the same time, her ex-lover also appears and he's the guy that she borrowed the money from. And he's also the guy who's going to get fired from the bank. Mm, it's it's yeah. a little bit too much, you know, it is a big coincidence. Take, but Christine Lind is a little bit like, why is she even here? You know? Yeah. yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. He starts yeah. trying to take over. She's like, no, I think you're keeping something from me. It's like, well, I haven't seen you in eight years. So yeah, I probably am. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough. It yeah. becomes apparent why she's there. And, uh, at the beginning of act three but yeah yeah it really isn't uh it really isn't established very well she just kind of appears after not being seen forever why couldn't she have just been a friend that's just around like dr rank i think that might have been a little bit more believable i mean it, it doesn't detract from the play though it's just a curious no. little you know but and I, I really like the early relationship with these two um, and there's a nice bit where they're talking you know he's he's always trying to teach Nora about money and we find doctor, out later yes. she knows about money Sorry, yes. but Hel- Helmer's always going to say to her, you know, um, we- we've got to save money. We can't be, you know, you can't be going out buying sweets and buying wooden dresses or whatever else. We've got to be very careful with money. And she says, I wish no I'd inherited macaroons. many of Papa's. No macarons. Bad for your teeth. So I wish I'd inherited many of Papa's qualities. And he says, and I would not wish you to be anything but what you are. So I, I really thought that although we- he has flaws later in this early scene, like, you know, he accepts mm-hmm. her, you know, she- because she does seem a little bit giddy, a little bit immature, a bit of a spendthrift. Mm-hmm. And he says, well, here are your flaws, but I accept you for exactly what you are. So in in this part, I really like them as a couple. Yeah, yeah. But I suppose yeah. we, as we later, um, so as we later learn on, that when um, Crockstart starts uh, blackmailing, I suppose, uh, Nora, she it immediately becomes obvious that this is a very fragile uh, haven that they've created, essentially mm-hmm. a, just a doll's house, no real foundation. And that the anxiety appears so seeing one might start very lighthearted but the end of act one is is already just basically very very tragic so uh, because um she ends it with uh, she worries that she might be corrupting her children poisoning her home mm. because as i said um her husband torben helmer he suggests that people that do this kind of stuff he starts talking about pe- uh, people that, that that do dodgy business like uh, Crockstad and people have done that who forged and who um, keep secrets are not allowed to be on this earth that they corrupt children he wouldn't want a mother like that who would yeah. be lying mm-hmm. and immediately uh, Nora she pales with terror as it says here and she already is terrified and you realize I suppose like I said she's not really a child she said she's like a child but she's not also not really she's done these things behind her husband's back to save him though but now he seems to be judging these kind of people yeah, obviously he doesn't know that she did those things at this point, but he's yeah. judging Krogstad uh, for those similar kinds of things. Yeah. And Nora knows that her husband will be very angry with her if he finds out. But the reason that she did it, and we haven't really touched on it, is yes. that he was sick and he needed to go yeah. down. Like the yes. doctors recommended you go down south, like down to Italy. And so it costs 250 pounds. She says that she got the money from her father right after he passed. However, it was from her borrowing money from Krog. Krogstad. Yeah. And she's been paying that back over the past couple of years, it seems like. And she's about kind of. to pay the rest of it off. She she's simultaneously good and and not good in the sense that she's devoted to her husband. She does these good things. She knows that it would hurt his ego to know about it. Um, which is, you know, a failure on his part more than anything else. But she off she goes and you know, just rather than explaining to him, she assesses the situation and 
borrows the money and she's paying it back and she's doing like needlework and various other things i think she mentions to try to like make a bit of money here and there and pay it back but then when her friend asks well how much do you owe she's kind of like but i don't actually know how much is left so it's like okay there's still a little bit of the child in her as well like definitely yeah definitely yeah but she also says that uh by the new year it will all be over Mm. yes which is just a couple days away like a week away Fair, fair. So they're going to get it paid off. We should also mention um, a curious detail that her friend, she gets her friend a job at the bank and it turns out to be Roxanne's job. So they sack him and hire her. And obviously she didn't intend. Yes, that's, that's important. That to happen, but. Thanks for mentioning it because that's mm-hmm. the reason why Roxanne's beginning to uh, blackmail all of a sudden Nora because he's just about to lose the job they worked very hard to get for because he's trying to get respectability. And it's very important here. He wants he to improve. Yeah. But the reason why, two things, he wants to improve. And the second thing is the same thing happened to him when his wife got sick. He lent, uh, he borrowed a lot of money illegally. And now he is in debt and his wife has passed, passed on. But now he's in debt. So essentially, I can't see him as a bad character. He's, the, he's in the exact same situation as Nora. And I mean, he can't help it almost mm-hmm. blackmail her because she's got, she's the only, she's got a chance to give her, give him back the job because she essentially gave made sure that her friend Linda got the job. Yeah. Okay, so bad bad for Croxa. And secondly, though she's got some power over her husband, he seems to think. And so he said, well the, now you've got to reverse it. The only now, thing he does we also, okay, go ahead, Alex. Uh one thing we also haven't mentioned is part of the uh part of the way he is blackmailing her isn't just for borrowing the That's money. Say, it yeah. is for the forgery. So she ended up forging yes. her father's name as a guarantor. As a guarantor. Oh yes and Krogs, I figured that out and said, well, this is illegal. This is going to ruin you. Mm. Yeah. So this is where he loses me a little bit because, you know, because obviously he doesn't need to do that. And he has a very Shylock moment where she says, what if we get you the money later? And she asks, how much do you really want? Thinking that he's trying to extort her. And he doesn't, yeah. he just wants his job back. And he kind of says, I will have my bond. You know, he wants his, his daughter mm. and his ducats. Um, you know, he's having nothing else. <laughs> mm. Well, um, yeah. so that's what happens. And yes, yeah, so I, I can essentially understand him. And he threatens her with, with basically a letter that he's going to come up with a letter and give it to her husband and put it in the mailbox. And this letter becomes essentially Chekhov's gun. The idea of like that when you have this object in, in the mm-hmm. scene, that it's going to somehow be used for a very dramatic effect. And in a sense, that, that's what the letter is. You're terrified about this letter. It appears um and well yes and, and she doesn't we want... know what this letter is going to do though. exactly that's that's so thing. like yeah. Chekhov's gun that's more foreshadowing i feel exactly yes. this one is just like this is oh, okay. just a plot device okay yeah well it becomes yeah. a very a very important object uh, throughout the whole um throughout the whole play and she begins to try to distract her husband because the letter appears and the, and the husband is just about to go out and oh he's gonna get the letter and she's she's in a fix so she asked mrs mrs linda first of all to talk sorry uh, she asked mrs linda for help first mm-hmm. first of all but secondly all she realized she has to do is to distract um her husband and she does so by practicing a dance that they're going to perform the next day and it becomes a very iconic uh, scene um, in the play where she dances like as as crazy as she can uh, in order to distract her husband. Yeah. This is interesting though because her husband then says oh well we'll have to rehearse those steps again and it turns out I think she dances perfectly on the night so I actually think she had done all the work she knew the dance yes, obviously yes, she's trying to distract her husband but it's interesting because she's yeah. playing into that stereotype she's actually been working and saving money doing a lot of very mature adult like things 
Uh-huh. But with her husband, she keeps playing into the stereotype mm. of the slightly ditzy, you know, I need your help to kind of correct yeah. me and let me know what I'm doing. You know, she acts more childish for her sure. husband than she actually is. Sure. And that's yeah. probably... It what we learn later on, it's probably because he does baby her and she's just mm-hmm, playing mm-hmm, into mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. So by like treating her like, oh, my little Skylark, which I have a lot of issues with her calling her that, saying like, you're my little bird, which where do you keep a bird? Well, in a cage. Mm-hmm. Um, I assumed it was just because she was singing. You know, I, I, I took it very, very and that's how it No, but I think it's both. It's both, yeah. But, as you learn more about these characters and how the interactions are and how they feel about it later on, you realize that it's actually a really terrible thing to be calling her. Yes. Yes. So, I mean, definitely afterwards. Yeah. Yes. He, he, he mentions that her relationship with him is very similar to her relationship with her father. Like she just yeah. passes from one to the other and acts the same and way. Towards sounds them. like her father always treated her as a child and, so she's always putting on airs, it seems, at like around her father and her husband. And she's only really herself, maybe like around like her friend or Dr. Rank. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, is there a point where she could have maybe had better communication with her husband at some point? You know, because it's been eight uh, years uh, that they've been doing this show. Well, yeah. But she hasn't really like recognized the problem yet. So I don't know if they could have communicated. Well, indeed. Well, um, just just to keep up with the story, first of all, so that that's what happens essentially. That actually does manage for a long time to procrastinate the idea, uh, uh, the letter. But at some point at Christmas Eve, when they come back from a party, um, he just mm-hmm. happens to. It, it's all very lovely, dovey, but he actually um, sees the letter at last, and it's it's too late. And Mrs. Lind actually encourages the situation in the sense that she encourages. Uh, to, uh, for Torvald to read the letter. Yeah, this surprised and me. I didn't really know why she did that. It becomes I, clear then. Yeah, I have been thinking about that. And PJ, like, tell me what you think as well. Um, yeah. But I feel like the reason she did it was partially because she was wanting to get back with Krogstad and saying that the reason I want to be back with you isn't because of this letter. It is because I actually do care. But also, I feel like that she thinks that for Nora, it could be a good thing just to get it all out into the open mm-hmm. instead of keep hiding it uh, the rest of her life. Could be. Yeah. However, I, that is going to do more harm than good. Um, yeah, she yeah, mentioned. Yeah, uh, Ms. Lind, uh, she mentions that it has to be done. At, um, so she, because she, she does get together around Act Four, is it Act Three with Crocstat and it's all. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Act Three. Yeah. So, yeah, no, Act Two is it? She gets together um, with Cross at the beginning of Act Three. Act Three. Act Three. Okay, I directed. I know it. So, so <laughs> she gets back to she gets back together with yeah. says, Oh, lovely, lovely. But she mentions that no, she has to read the letter, and then Cross says, "No, no, look, there was a terrible flaw in my character to be even wanting to do this." And she says, "Like, no, it has to be done for her own good." And I think at the beginning, oh, she just that's just mean. He can't do that. And then we we and we're horrified when um Torvald actually reads the letter but we soon find out that really it's for the best truly is for the best that he I I disagree on that this is where we're going to get into the disagreement but you see this is this is what happens in the story guys so he reads the letter and he reacts and he's horrified with Nora he tells her get out that she is a terrible person and that he definitely doesn't want a monster like her 
Well, uh, he finds out that his wife committed crimes, and he reacts in a shocked and angry way. I think that's a very is... basic crime. I wouldn't say it's like sure, a high sure. crime or misdemeanor. Like no, I mean, and she did it for him. <laughs> and I think you know, a little bit of conversation. I think he would have come right. You know, but I think you see, Mrs. Lind is kind of Mrs. Mrs. Lind is a a woman who's uh, spiritually older. I would say than Nora in the sense mm-hmm. of she's had a husband. And she didn't actually even love the husband and moved on and, and the husband died. Uh, Mrs. Lind is looking from a perspective of experience and realizing that Nora and she needs sees to that get out of this. I yeah, think she sees know. the cracks in the relationship for sure. You know? and, she's, yeah. and she realizes it needs to be, the truth needs to get out because yeah. it will just repeat itself nonstop because Nora is just living a, a play life. She's living in an adult's house, oh. not a real house. I'll tell you what, before, before we argue about the ending, um, there's a couple <laughs> of little things I want to go back to. One okay, is of no importance, but I just thought it was a funny quote. Um, yes. It's when Rank is talking to, to Mrs. Lind, um, and she says, I've been overworking myself, and she's asking for a new job. And he says, well, is that a good cure for overwork? You know, more work. And she says, well, one must live. And he says, well, that does seem to be the general opinion, but it's necessary, Yes. I thought that was hilarious. Just like, well, one must live. Like, yeah, man, that's that's what they say. Yeah, like, yeah, he's a, he's a, <laughs> I find Doctor Ranga kind of a, a very dark in a dark humor way, but he is a comic relief, isn't he? Even though he's he's he he, he dies at the end. I love I love him. And he for, dies, for, for, he, he says for me, goodbye. For me, he represents yeah. the lighthearted half of the play, and he even says, you know, in my absence, it's going to be Mrs. Lind, and I think she represents the more serious half of the play as the new family he friend. Re- you see, he represents a lot. And one thing I want to mention that just before um, the husband reads the letter, uh, Dr. Rank comes in and he's actually going to die. And he doesn't say it, but he mm-hmm. leaves a letter as well uh, saying that for Torvald and Nora, essentially saying this is the end. I'm going it's to a, die. It's a black cross on a card. And that's, that's his yeah, farewell. He already told Nora before, yes. basically. Yeah. But I guess but, kind of going back just a little bit, yeah. um, so I think he has an interesting story, but I always found him to be kind of a bland character. There really wasn't, he's just mm. friend. I he feel is. like he, he doesn't, doesn't like do a bring lot. a lot to the table, Yeah, but he does, he does represent a lot to them. I suppose you're supposed to read into it more like, oh, he's coming over every day and I'm having, you know, he's chatting to her in the salon. He's chatting to him in the study. And, you know, you just get this picture of like this jolly family friend. That's kind of, and I'm sad, sadly he is going to die. And for me, his death represented the the end of their marriage, essentially. You know, he was their happy time in their life and now he's gone. The thing is, I, I feel like you could also do this play without him in it. You also could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. That's, you, that's you could. to be a little bit bland. Yeah, but you yeah, couldn't go back ex- to what we were discussing. No? Except maybe not, though, because let me because we talked about this, everyone, uh, in deep, and we've been talking about this all day. Because... We could have recorded three episodes worth yes, of conversation yes. today. Oh, yeah, um, we've already been debating this. I think Krogstad so. is a necessary character, because that's the point. No, no, no not Krogstad, the... Dr. Rank. Sorry, excuse me, uh, Dr. Rank is a necessary character, because when he announces he's going to die in the letter, he's already gone. He says he just won't live until tomorrow. He's, he's, it's implied he's going to commit suicide. He's going to die, but it's implied I feel he's going to commit suicide. Mm-hmm. And the way Torvald reacts, he's a bit, it's very important here, he is intoxicated, he's slightly drunk. And that's very important because he's already being, he's already treating Nora before that a bit, on, a bit. how can I say this? Uh, well, not very much like a gentleman anymore. In fact, he basically... He, he's horny. Yeah, Yes, he's a horny chap indeed. So I, I didn't he's not, pick up on this. He is. He's, no. he's not respecting her space, though. You see, whereas before he did. So that's one. That's thing why he was trying to kick Miss Lind out. Like, oh, this boring woman. Now let's. Well, get she to bed. is boring. She's my least favorite character in the play. 
I know, but you can see, like, as Torvald is a lovely fellow in the surface, but now where he's slightly intoxicated, he's showing his, showing his true self. You know, so he's just, first of all, he's not really respecting Nora's uh, space. So it's a very 19th century theme. And mm. second of all, when he, 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 he also um, says bad things about Dr. Rank wanting to get out, he, he's insulting everyone kind of behind everyone's back. But when he finds yeah. out that Dr. Rank is going to die, he essentially doesn't give. It doesn't give a damn. It shocks me. That shocks yeah. me that he doesn't care that his friends die. That should be already a sign. But that's should be a sign. And Nora is still... Nora wants the important factor. She, she's planting with suicide yeah. when after hmm. the letter is being read. And when she finds out... This is the point. When the letter is being read out and, and uh, Torvald reacts like this, so mean to her, so incredibly cruel to her, Incredibly cruel. Yeah. I know he's reacting because he's shocked, but he's incredibly cruel. He's saying, like, you're out of my life. But he's basically be... saying, you're going to be a slave in this house. You're well, going to be like a Well, he says she can stay in the house, but she's right. not allowed to raise their kids because she's immoral, which is a bit of a stretch, yeah. you know. But... And this is literally a doll there. You just keep her in the house. You don't let her do anything. Um, you just yeah. keep her there for yeah. image. And this but... is the part of the play that I find where it's all an enjoyable play. I find this is the one where it becomes almost like like an existentialist mm-hmm. kind of play. Like, well, let me go back a minute because you meant. I'm afraid to get to the ending because then we're done. But you mentioned <laughs> Rank and his horniness. I didn't see that. Like he was a well, great no, friend. Uh, to- no, no, Torvald. Torvald. Where we're talking about Torvald being horny. However, Doctor Rank was flirting with Nora and. Yeah, uh, so Nora flirts, was somewhat flirting back. I, I, I don't know if they flirted. Like Torvald gets horny when they get drunk, sure. But I think that Rank, you know, he sits down. He says, "Like I'm going to die. I'm going to see you maybe one more time. At this point, I have to tell you that I that I love you." I think that's okay. You know, that didn't strike me as a problem. He, you know, he's going to die like in a couple of days. No, no say that's a problem. No, no we talked really about a... Tor- Torvald um, uh, not giving Nora the space. Um, you yeah, see, Torvald yeah. is a husband. And he seems to just say the grand and Nora is adult. And the way he's treating her at that point is a bit like, I don't care that you don't I mean, yeah, he literally her. calls her my prize possession yes. at one There's point. There's a bad bit where she says she doesn't want to sleep with him that night. And he's kind of like, but you're my wife. Like, I didn't like that. That didn't sit well with Yes. Me. Yeah. And that should be one indication. The next indication is that his best friend, the doctor, is dying. And he doesn't really give mm-hmm. a damn. He still just wants to. Having said that, you know, although he says you're my wife, you should sleep with me. When she then says no again, he does drop it. And he's supposed to sleep in separate rooms. Like he doesn't persist or yeah. he doesn't try to force it or anything. He's not you a mean, he's is... not a, he's not a cruel character. I don't think that. That's the, that's not the point. Mm. No. That, yeah. That would be he's... too that would be unrealistic, I find, if he became violent. Do you agree, Alex? I think that's Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he ever wanted to hurt her. Because no. I do think he really does love her. He just doesn't know how to treat her as a human and as a wife. He's he a treats her as a child or a pet. One of those two. Before we get to that ending, can I say one last thing about Krogstad? Because you mentioned mm. earlier that you do think he's not such a bad chap. Um, mm. Yeah, he does some crimes, petty crimes, similar to what Nora's doing. I think I said that. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, you did. But I, you know, yeah, the blackmail's not ideal. I felt really bad for him because <laughs> we find out that we find out that Mrs. Lind used to be his, you know, lover. I don't know if they were exactly affianced, but we find out they were mm-hmm. in love and she marries someone else and we talked about this before because I thought it was a horrible thing to do, but you know, it was through necessity she had to pay she had to care for her mother yeah. and pay those bills. So she marries someone she doesn't love, and I feel really, really bad for Krogstad, you know, yeah, because he's yeah. been, he hasn't done sure. anything wrong at sure. this point. He does some yeah. crimes, he's extorting them. As soon as she talks to him and says, Look, I'll come back to you, then he says, Okay, forget here's the bond, like rip it up, whatever, like forget the money, forget everything. Like, you know, yeah. he's got his, his girl back. I really like him for that. But I yeah, feel yeah. bad for him because I don't think Mrs. Lynn loves him. 
her husband has died. Yeah, and she okay. says, I'm working for no one. I want to work to provide for someone. And, you know, you were the only other she... person I knew, basically. She doesn't say she loves him. She just kind of says, let's take yeah. you back by default. Yeah. It's okay. I think she's also saying that she wants meaning in life and feels that she can find meaning yes. with him. Well, I, but I think he could have been anyone. She wants meaning different. and she uh, wants yeah, someone, could be a... you know? Yeah, yeah. She doesn't say why she likes him. She just says, I want meaning. I want to be with someone. You know, she doesn't hmm. say why it's him. Fair. Yeah, yeah so that, I that's, bad that's, I agree but with you, actually. Happy, she, so it's fine. She probably <laughs> doesn't love him, really. Like, I, no, I, I don't agree think she doesn't at all. And, and when you read Ibsen, when you read Scandinavian literature at the time, you have to take... Before. So I assume that she's still going to now. Yes, but she, I think she's just uh, in a sense of... She's an older soul, in the sense. She's kind of lived very fast life. I feel like she's not really talking through the lens of love, but mm-hmm. more practicality. But I don't think she prioritizes love. She prioritizes meaning now in her life, but probably does uh, maybe even love Crocs. Mm-hmm. But it's not like the first thing she's focused on, oh, like, sure. I'm in love with you. And the, and the like thing her. is... Uh, I, I, I have compassion for all of them. But actually, the thing is with Scandinavian uh, theater at the time, you have to take into consideration Kierkegaard and his philosophy. So in certain Kierkegaard, um, the Danish philosopher started writing in the 1840s. And that he really put a lot of meaning into decision-making in life. So Kierkegaard, so Kierkegaard says that uh, our life is our decisions. And that's very important here because Ibsen and even Strindberg, the Swedish contemporary playwright of, of his, um, in all their plays, it's all about what decision do you make? And Ms. Lind is a very good example of that mm-hmm. because she decides she decides that she wants meaning through the decisions she makes, which is that she's going to, I suppose, in some sense, half sacrifice herself for Nora because she has to pick one husband. She wants to care for someone. But that's an interesting point because, like, it, it, she, does she choose Croxa because she was in love with him before, or does she do it a bit because she loves Nora as a friend? And I think it was to help Nora, and also, yeah. well, he was her only ex, really. Like, her husband's dead; he was the only guy that she'd really known before. I think it was yeah, an easy but... choice, but I don't, I don't think it was through any virtue of him. You know, there's an yeah. interesting quote, though. Uh, so she does mention that she came back to town for him. She does. She does oh, say yeah, that, yeah. But true. I still think yeah. it was only because he was the easy choice. I don't think she was going yeah, yeah, to meet someone it's, new. It's you know? also indicated in the play that might be. Yeah. That, yeah, but it's also like going back to what she felt more comfortable with. Um, yeah, she didn't. Really I just, love I just wanted one line where she said, "I got to remember that I always loved you" or something. You know. Yeah. yeah. Fair. Fair. Yeah. Um, so so we get to the end. Wrecked people. I think that's more poetic, though. It's like two <laughs> shipwrecked people who can now come together as. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll Fine. give you that. Yeah, I, I like it. I it's not like, love I like necessarily, but so I the ending. Um, so all the right. ending. Who who wants to go first? So we should probably explain a little bit about it first. So he reads the letter. He gets very angry at Nora, saying that you're you should never talk to our children again. You're going to live in this house. You will stay here, and I'm basically going to keep you in a cage. Um, basically, and then can I disagree already or? <laughs> <laughs> he then uh gets another letter uh from Krogstad saying uh-huh. here is the bail or whatever it is um basically you can rip it up you don't owe me any more money this is all fine uh and i'm not going to blackmail you anymore so then Krogstad says i'm saved she says what about me and he says naturally you too and they get into a big fight mm-hmm. 
Uh, Nora basically Indeed. just kind of shuts down at this point because he was still just uh, angry with her and she's just taking it in stride and finally sits him down to have a really serious talk. Saying, that's right. That's a key I, point. She says, yeah. let's have a serious talk. And yeah. it's the first serious talk. It's the first one she says that. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. But I think that's a feeling um, of hers. What she, you know, she could have had this talk at any, any point in those eight years. I completely Indeed disagree she. because this is the first time that she's actually recognized the problem was like two days ago. Okay, days so that, ago. that changes things because if she if she only recognized the problem now, then she was essentially happy for eight years. So my question is, she's not a problem for two days. No, Why because are they she also says that she wasn't happy for those eight years. But hold, hold on, before we get... Before she was we get, married, but not happy. No, before we get into the depths of, of the philosophical thing, let's just talk about... I'm using the, context here. Let's just, no. let's just talk about the... the <laughs> let's just... So everyone gets clear what happens then and then we can talk about okay. what mm. i know it's a very passionate player guys we, no, we, she we, leaves we, him that's what happens she leaves him we <laughs> i think dean is particularly been very upset about this because we talk about so much and uh, <laughs> so basically alex you're describing it beautifully so um yes so then she listens to him do you want to continue yeah um well, she listens to him and she says that I haven't really been happy here and mm-hmm. like I need to, my duties are to myself right now because yes. I haven't, haven't ever done anything for myself mm-hmm. in my life, which mm-hmm. I do kind of disagree with. Um, she has, she has done a lot for her husband uh, throughout. She's done a lot for her kids, but she's also realizing this isn't the life I want mm-hmm. and she ends up leaving. She, she dances in pretty dresses and eats macarons, though. It's not, you know, you're, she, she doesn't do nothing for herself, you know, in eight years. But uh, she did have to hide the macarons. But, <laughs> and she didn't want to dance, it seems like. No, she didn't want to dance, no. Okay, so now we're, we can get into the discussion of, of things. So, and very importantly, she doesn't no. commit suicide. That's a very important no. key point. It's a very important key point because it's something that you would expect. However, mm-hmm. only after reading a lot of Shakespeare, but this is now. So a different time. Like I'm gonna disagree from the very first line because he reads the letter, he has an outburst, which he says some mean things, but I think it was in the heat of the moment. Okay. And um, then you know, I don't think he meant to keep her as a as a as an animal in a cage. He says, you know, we could essentially his options are well, we could break up and I could kick you out. He says, No, no, of course I'm gonna let you still live here. Like I'm not gonna be mean. You can live here. I just don't think you're a good moral influence on our children. Now, that is a massive stretch for the small misdemeanor that she's committed. Um, so he was losing me a little bit at that point. Um, and I, honestly, I should stress as well, I don't like that throughout the play, he talks about, I've set rules for you, why are you breaking the rules? He always does it in a friendly kind of way, but it's still a little bit of an undercurrent of, why are you setting her rules? You know, why can't mm-hmm. she eat macarons? They're bad for her teeth, sure, but she's a grown-ass adult. She can make that decision. So there's definitely some problems. Um, I just think that, she seems happy and she tells people that she's been happy for eight years. She now has this realization, well, maybe I wasn't happy retrospectively. Like there were definitely problems there and that's no longer what I want. My problem is that she leaves him instead of saying, let's try to fix it because he offers to, he says, okay, we can do it differently. And sure. Look, lots of people say that and they don't mean it, but she doesn't even give him a chance. That's my problem. You know? Yeah. Now we get into what is, uh, the, the line I wanted to discuss is the most wonderful thing of all. She mentions it throughout the play a few times. And so what has generally been accepted is the most wonderful thing of all is that he is not going to be selfish. 
basically look out for her, be there for her, put his pride away. And so he even, he doesn't do that. He just doesn't throughout. Well, let me quote that. He says, like, because I'm a man, I am not going to do these things for love. And Hold on. She the says, letter, well, the letter's lying there. Thousands of years. Let me quote this line because we disagree massively on this. I think so. That when Krog says letter was lying out there, never for a moment did I imagine that you would consent to accept this man's conditions. I was so absolutely certain that you would say to him, "Publish the thing to the world." And when that was done, and he asks, "Yes, what?" When that was done, I was so absolutely certain you would come forward and take everything upon yourself and say, "I am the guilty one." And he's in shock. Because she's basically and, saying, I committed a crime, and I was so certain that you, you know, even though you've just got a new job, that you would just forget about the money that we're trying to make from your new job, forget about it, all of our reputation, let it be published, let us become um, societal pariahs, and also take all the blame on yourself instead of me in this weird protective male uh, stance. And this, and I really do think that you were taking it completely out of context there. It has nothing to do with like uh, sexism or anything like that. The husband has two choices. He stands with her or he throws her under the bus. And he decides to throw her under the bus and mm-hmm. say that this is I think is that was his only choice. Do. She did it wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't know about the agreement. So why on earth would he take responsibility? And she doesn't ask him to take okay. responsibility. Because she asks him to say, I am couple, the guilty you one. You do have to go through it together. If you but she wants, do that she wants him to wife, say, I am the guilty one. You shouldn't get married. The thing is, um, it's not that he is doing something wrong, Torvald. Um it's just that Nora did this for him, and yeah. she might not have done the best. She might not have done the best thing, and uh, it might have been a mistake. Yeah, it might have been. No, I think mistake. she was right to do what she did. I don't. I don't think she well, did. I don't know. Wrong. Don't know. But, but maybe there was no chance or not. But the point is that Torvald uh, throwing her under the bus instead of being at her side is yeah. the ultimate betrayal. It's the ultimate betrayal. There's no when she when she and hears no. this. The reason is. she says There's it no is because back. you have no thrown me back. under the bus. I was hoping that you would be there for me. And but that's not like, what she no, says. Because I'm a man, she I can't says. Do that. She says in the play. Wait, there is a miracle going to happen. She mentions the miracle, and the miracle is that she might not have to commit suicide. The miracle might be that her husband, despite well, being a 19th century product of a man, might actually go beyond that and might actually be there for her, even though she's done this really uh, risky thing. Okay, she says that she doesn't think he would, for a minute that he would accept Krogstad's conditions, which were legally binding contracts, they must be accepted. And then she says that she thinks he will say, I am the guilty one. So put her aside, don't tell anyone in society that she did it. They, they're afraid that they will, that everyone will think he was party to this forgery. And she basically says, yeah, you should take all the blame for that. But I don't Why think she's he? thinking about social status too when she said that sounds like, like she's trying to cover herself up. Might be interpreted. I know no, I don't but that's not her per- if you read earlier the play, on in the play, she does also say that I will be taking all the blame. Yes. Uh, Christine, remember this. So it wasn't that she was hoping that he would take all the sorry, blame. Sorry, sorry, you're right, you're right, you're right, Alex. Let me rephrase that. She mentions to Christine Linda, I want you to be a witness that my husband did nothing wrong. So she yeah. wants that to be known. But she wants him to offer to take the blame. And she says, I would never accept that from you. But she wants him to offer to take the blame. It's, again, it's this nonsense of testing your partner. And he doesn't do it. And I don't see why he should. It's not testing uh, a partner in this case. There's no, no other option. There's no other option. Because well, either option is she, she committed a crime and they, they, they paid the guy it. back or she gets in do trouble. Do I think that he should have said that it was entirely on me? Well, at the time period, he is the man of the household and the responsibility would be on him. 
Yes, as well. indeed. This is a nineteenth well, century. But place, you can't so. you can't tell me that she's trying to be a progressive feminist but still expect him to take the blame. She can't have both of those things. But she's you trying to go by the, the word the of law and still be a feminist. Yeah. No, but what um, I'm saying is she she can't want to not be his little doll and want progression and female equality, but still expect her husband to take the blame when she messes up and you knew nothing about it. You can't have both. So there's you're ex, you're confusing the legal side with the social side of this. Hmm. I'm just confusing. I'm just saying her expectations. Thing. I'm just saying her expectations are that he treats her better, but still takes the blame, still offers to take the blame for something that she messes up. And well, she again, that- and she says she wouldn't let him take the blame, but she wants him to offer. And I just don't see why anyone would offer that. But what's what else should because, he do? Though that's the thing. What else should yeah. he do? I mean, yes, well, I mean, there are only two choices: do. he does it or he doesn't do it. But and... tell me, Dean, that's the thing. I... Well, what he, he, what yeah, he, what he, yeah, 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 yeah. What he really should have done was <laughs> kept Krogstad in his job. That's the solution. Everything's fixed. Give Krogstad his job back and pay off the money that's owed. You know, give him the job, yeah. pay off the money, and everything's fine. Um, if he wasn't going to go to the you know police or anything as long as he got his money, especially after Mrs. Lynn talks to him. But also, let's let's say he does. Let's say he wants to go for blackmail. She committed a crime. He didn't. Like her husband is completely innocent of the crime. He was it was done for him, but he knew nothing about it. He should accept zero percent of the blame. Okay, Dean, I agree with you that he is innocent. I think he's a very. Innocent I do think guy. he is. I, yeah, he's not to blame for this, but in the position that he's in, he would have to. But the thing is, that's the whole, maybe that's the whole beauty of the play, that it does bring out this discussion. And this was a very, mm-hmm. the fact that we're getting uh, um, so heated up about this, it shows you that it's a strong play. Women that's what could it, still be tried for crimes in Victorian times, you know, if they committed them. Yeah, and, uh, Dean, yes, yes. Oh, yes, yes, and yes. But what, tell me this, what would you do if you were the husband and you really... Pay Krogstad and give him his job back. I pray... Okay. Yeah, no, that would not work. No, no, but, no sorry, but, now, bank. but let me reformulate that. This is during the time that he thought that uh, Krogstad is not um, um, is going to blackmail him. No, no, he thought that Krogstad was going to blackmail him. I mean, at this time period, at this time of the play where he's insulting the his his wife. Okay, he thinks her. they're going to be blackmailed, so he gives so in. He, 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 he gives Krogstad what he wants, and then it's all fixed. It would absolutely not be. The reason he didn't do it was because Krogstad had already committed crimes. And if you have a manager saying like, hey, this person can now work here, he had everything to lose. He would not have gotten any money. He wouldn't have been able to keep his position. He mentions that he's worried that they will blame him for her crime, assuming that he's complicit in it. So there's already an imbalance in society that anyone will assume a husband is complicit in the crime a wife commits. So husband should be in here. Well, sure. Yeah, Yeah, sure, yeah. I'm just not. I, I think what he could have. I'm done talking was, about at the bank, not legally here. Let, let's 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 say that let's say that um, the worst happens. Get his job and back. This comes to court. Let's say this comes to court because she's committed a forgery. She's committed a crime. He should say, "Well, I knew nothing about it. Let her go to jail. Why would he go to jail for her?" That, that's fine. You know, that's that's, <laughs> that's a, a possibility. But she was hoping. She was hoping after all the sacrifice that the miracle, as she mentions, would happen. Um, that love would conquer all you. Who's such the a man should be downtrodden, essentially. No, excuse me, Dean. You're the, such a romantic figure. I suppose that's all she wanted. She just wanted the love, and there was no love. Okay, that's I fine. think he is massively in love with her. He is not in love with her because if he he's were in truly, love with, the, the he's idea. in love with his toy. No, no, that's the whole point. If he were in love, he would do the irrational thing. I mean, that's the thing, right? The irrational thing 
of taking responsibility, of sacrificing himself. That's maybe, the whole key. Maybe. No, 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 Dean, hold on. That's the whole key of the of the play. That he irrationally, irrationally sacrifices himself and does the wrong thing for love, just like she did. She sacrificed herself and did the wrong yeah. thing. He wasn't okay. actually going to do anything for her. So here's yes. my problem. And she wasn't. No, he wasn't. Therefore, the love was imbalanced. She did everything for I get, I get what you're saying, but I have yeah. a slight problem with that. The wrong okay, thing she does, which is to help him, let's be fair to her, yeah, she's a lovely yeah, person. Yeah. Her wrong yeah. thing is to commit a crime, okay? Very, very minor crime to help her husband. The wrong thing you want him to do is take the blame and get blackmailed. He could end up in no, prison, get a no. fine. So no, no. he's worse off no. in every situation here. No, and no one wants him to do anything. That's the point. There's no, no one, just, just whatever he wants to do is fine. But she says that only if by miracle could this happen when he doesn't do it, when he does the rational thing of taking care of himself, the survival mm-hmm. thing, it just shows that all he really loved was her in the perfect world that she was okay. acting in. She was acting in a play all her life. And she then was. she shows her raw, naked, uh, not so nice side. And he's horrified. I mean, like he is uh, horrified, and I think it's unjust. You know, he says I was a criminal in the indeed. high. Indeed, it, it yeah. is unjust of him. But I don't see why he should take the blame. That's all. That's fair enough. That's very fair enough. Yeah. But that's the whole point that she wants to see if he will go so mm-hmm. far, like like she did. As not a I test. wonder would she, like, would she deal with a prison sentence if he committed a crime? Would she take the blame for him? Yes, yeah, she did he's, because she sacrificed yeah. herself. I she did. She really. No, but she come on. She like she she. But she would. She will be going. Why do you think she was trying to run away? Or yes. like even commit suicide because she was the one who was going to. She never seriously considered suicide. And no, she Prost was. That even it. says that he says you'll always have the thought that you'll never do it. I was the same. Suicide was never a viable option. It was a melodramatic, it's... you know, moment. Ah, hold on. That's the point of, of Ibsen. In Ibsen, the male characters talk nonsense, to put it nicely. It is true. They don't know what they're saying. That's fine. What Clockstad and Doctor Rank say, but Clockstad is not a person you can rely on. He doesn't even understand human deaths. No one of these man characters understands. I like Clockstad. Clockstad says that, but I guarantee you that Nora would have committed suicide. I don't care what Clockstad says. Clockstad doesn't know. SH okay, Clarkstad. okay. Let's give you. Let's yeah. give you that. Let's say she might have. Well, she doesn't commit suicide, so that's your answer. But let's say she might have. Indeed, she actually does the even stronger thing. They, they were going beyond something. That's a 20th century thing. She's not committing suicide because she begins to self-respect herself and self-love. She goes beyond Mm. that and decides that the only way is for her to actually become a mature being who grows. And by that, she can only do it if she leaves the playhouse. So I think that she needed to have that. She definitely, definitely needed to have more self-respect. And she definitely needed all those improvements. My perfect ending would have been almost exactly what happens. She doesn't ask him to take the blame for a crime he didn't commit and knew nothing about um, they just talk about it. They, have a, they sit down, they have that serious conversation, the first one in eight yeah. years, whatever it is. And they say, okay, there's definitely been some problems in our relationship. You treat me like a child. Let's have another go at things, but you treat me like an adult and we'll sort this out with Krogstad together and we'll have communication in our relationship and we'll that deal with things been, like a team. Now, I do not think it. that would help with like the, this proto-feminist movement. I do Indeed. not think that would have done anything. Now, whereas that is a healthy choice, that is not actually going to make as much of an impact with an audience. With her leaving, yeah. that's showing women that they do have more control over their lives. Sure, sure. I will give you that. Out of these unhealthy relationships. Because this is probably more useful for the time period. Yeah, I'm just yeah, like, you know, time t- t- but just taking the play as a one piece out of context, I think yeah. there's a healthier way to fix the relationship. Oh, or at least well, try. At least try. Sure. You know, sure, give one I mean, chance. I think it's time for a drastic. Case, 
Yeah. yeah. It'd be nice and, to be able to try to fix it. Yeah. Because he I didn't know he did anything wrong. He had no mens rea. He had no mental no. culpability. He, like, he thought that he, they, they were happy. Now that he's figured out they're not, he's in shock. Give him a month to try to fix it, for goodness sake, you know? No, now, no, no, no. There is also that the last line of the play, which I think yes. can be a bit confusing for a lot of people, but Helmer, he, I'll read mm-hmm. it here. So he sits yeah, yeah, down yeah. on a chair at the door and buries his face in his hands. Mm-hmm. Nora, Nora, he looks round and rises. Empty. She's gone. A mm-hmm. hope flashes across his mind. The most wonderful thing of all? Now, in this case, uh, the way he would be re- uh, saying that line, it's probably him understanding what she meant okay. in the way I see it. Maybe he's then understanding, oh, I do need to change. Indeed, and I yeah. Can yeah. Do something. And one analysis I was looking at is it really is up in the air what happens. Does yeah, he stay inside and be like, I can't do that? The most wonderful thing of all, I, my pride as a man, I mean, yeah, we disagree about that with that part with him mm-hmm. but the other choice is for him to run outside into the snow sure. and he should have done that yes and Indeed. that uh, might still happen it might but and that's he should what fight Henry for her and, and he should offer to change you know maybe you could add in a quick extra few lines or he runs out and he's in the snow on his knees no 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 back. henry gibson wanted to keep it open he wanted oh, yeah. it to be like well sometimes it will go like that sometimes mm. it won't i i just and... i can't have a play that doesn't end with them together it doesn't work for me well, the, um, hold on a second. So, yeah, so it's left open. Miracle is like at least mentioned um, five times, I think. I got the last page open. It's la- mentioned five times in the last page. Miracle of miracles, miracle, miracle, miracles. And, but she says she doesn't believe in miracles. She leaves, and then he thinks the miracle of miracles. That's my translation. I think it's a bit mm-hmm. different than yours. That's oh, actually, okay. That's actually my last uh, sentence here. Uh, anyway, so um, the idea is. Yes, it's open. So he starts believing the miracle of miracles, which is himself chain, which is positive. But it does say the heavy sound of a door being slammed is here from below the instructions. So she's making a clear point that she's first of all um, going to say no to it. But there is a chance for man even to reform. But this is yeah. a, a, a play representing society at time. And this is Norwegian society is even more conservative than, than uh, in some other places mm-hmm. in Europe. And this is very important that it's very important point that there is no real sadistic, cruel, this kind of like theatrical, histrionic uh, man, you know, being no, it's very realistic. It's just most men of that time were lovely fellows. Mm. And it would be a miracle for them to change. Sure, sure. It would still be a miracle for most men to change. And and, and in fact, (laughs) the the audience was so shocked around the world that Ibsen was forced to write an alternative German ending with a guy. Oh, here. Have you ever read no, the no. There is an alternative German ending, which, uh, which, so, <laughs> yeah. So the alternative German ending, I can read it out for you, is at the end. So, um, you've read out Alex the end, lovely. So uh, just at that part, and get rid of that. And it's well, Nora says, well, we can make a real marriage out of our lives together. Goodbye. She begins to go. Helmer says, go then, and he seizes her arm. But first, you shall see your children for the last time. Oh, Nora this. says, let me go. I will not see them. I cannot. And Helmer draws her over to the door left. You shall see them. He opens the door and says softly, look, there they are asleep, peaceful and carefree. Tomorrow when they wake up and call for their mother, mm-hmm. they will be motherless. And Nora trembles, motherless as you once were, says Helmer. 
motherless. She struggles with herself. She lets her traveling bag fall and says, oh, this is a sin against myself, but I cannot leave them. She half sinks down by the door and Helmer joyfully but softly that says, That is an awful ending. Norma. That is such terrible emotional abuse. Like It is, yeah. You went, oh my God, that is awful. No, this, uh, is, believe... this is good though, because no, the thing it's... is, there's nothing good about that. She was about to abandon her children, even though she herself had been had had no mother. So she should be better. And he's abusive in that scene. Don't get me wrong. He is emotionally abusing her there. Uh, I'm not saying that his method there was good. Um, but the outcome is good. Uh, mm. he, he call, Ibsen himself calls this ending, which he was forced to, by the way. He was, he was mm. actually almost forced to write this ending. So much pressure was he. He calls it a barbaric outrage that he had to write this. <laughs> and the only thing that says here that I find where it's a bit of Ibsen, because it's not Ibsen. This is from, he wrote this, but it's not Ibsen. Uh, she says, struggles with herself, and then it's a sin against myself. So those are the only two things that mm-hmm. leave it slightly ibsen But I know, but I agree with Alex. It's, um, yeah, it's made, like I said, Dean, it's a lovely ending. But that's the whole now, point of the play gone by this. It is. So, so you, you won yeah. me over a little bit. Uh, I think it was yourself, Alex. Because you pointed out that within the context, right, if they'd done the ending I want, it wouldn't have made as big a point. Right? Yes, that's so as a proto-feminist play, we needed that point to be made. Um, hmm. So it was done the right way to make that point. And certainly there had to be this play and potentially other plays. There had to be some literature and some things uh, that were popular, that were well-known, that showed women being able to make those types of decisions. Women need yeah. to be able to leave their husbands, for example. So it's very, very important that we have that. And if this play is the play to do that, so be it. But just yeah. for these characters, I wanted to see them ending up together. Because but that's, very, so sweet. Happy, that's you know? very sweet of you, Dean, because you care obviously a lot about... You want it uh, to go back to what it was in Act 1. As I, wanted, I wanted to go back yeah. to Act 1. They said we had a but problem. Unfortunately, it's just... Bit, not bit. possible with the way they're growing. It lasted eight years. Just give it another eight. You'd be fine. No, but hold on a sec. It's a Truman Show um, dilemma. Should he stay, or sh- because it's a lovely world? And but or can he go back now? Do you know the truth? The red pill. It's a Matrix red pill. Yeah, she she thinks matrix. she can't go back to what it was. So my first thought was she? no, but can she? Can she? Now that she knows the truth. Now that she knows the truth about his character. Ah, okay. I'm very. Oh, no. But so my first thought was go back to what it was. Then I realized maybe, you know, she doesn't feel that she can. Then you have the serious conversation. You give him a chance to change. Look, give it a month. If he doesn't change, leave him. I just think it's really, it's a a little bit cruel because I'm I'm putting myself, I'm trying to empathize with him. He doesn't know at this point he's done anything wrong. And he has, but he doesn't know it. And now he's thinking she's leaving me out of nowhere. Like he deserves that chance for his whole oh, world to not fall apart. But at least he's got some enlightenment at the end of the miracle. Well, well, what is enlightenment without your, without your spouse? And as I was well, saying as well, it took for her to leave for him to even realize that what he's doing is wrong. I think yes. the threat to leave would have achieved the same. I, I, well, I, for him, agree. For him I mean, as far as we know, important. this could just be a threat to leave. And more importantly, Dean, that may very well be, but she's not thinking about him, him anymore. For the first mm-hmm. time in her life, she's thinking about herself and what she yep. needs. Is That's to good get as well. That is good. But here's how That's I saw it. it. I saw two men. Forget Ryan, because he's not really that important. Um, we have the two men, who both of whom were mistreated by women. Like, I get, I get that he's been, you could argue well, that he's been mistreated well, again, I all along. about uh, Krogstad. Krogstad, so... No, 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 no. She leaves Crockstad because he has no money and she really needs to take care of her siblings she and mother. Had to she take sacrificed her family and she put yeah. responsibility before. She makes love. a sacrifice, but Crockstad no, 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 didn't want that sacrifice. No, no, but forget Crockstad. She wants she needs to take care of her siblings and mother. These are two women who sacrificed their own destiny 
That's how these are her- heroines. You see, that's the whole point of Ibsen. Are they though? Because they sacrifice yes. the hearts of men. No, they, no, sacri- they sacrifice. No, they sacrifice their own love. They owe nothing to these people, though. That's the thing. Like, right. We we now have two broken-hearted men. Men, nothing. We have two broken-hearted men who have not done anything to deserve it. Well, no. Hold on a second, I mean, and that's, that's kind of. And I can't cope I mean, with that. Torvald did. Torvald definitely did. But for Krogstad, the reason that Lind left him in the first place is because she needed to help out her mother and her family. And that's it, it was the responsibility. Else. And now she goes life. back to him even though she doesn't love him. I don't know if that's better or worse. Like, he's happy. Well, so no, she might him. still love him. And it sounds like she wanted to be with him. That's mm. the reason she came back to the town. So I think he was. I think their story is actually very nice. I think that it wasn't I, fair that she left him in the first place. But look, he marries no. someone else. And that might. I don't know how that went. So let's assume that he's fine. And I give you that Torvald did some bad well, it didn't things. didn't go very okay? well. <laughs> I, no, I think no. that it ends up fine yeah. for him. So we'll, we'll rule him out. No, I bet Crockstad, I think, like, I think, this is the thing. I think Linda was deeply in love with Crockstad. But some women at the time, they had to think about their family. They, Norway, just so you know, Norway now is a very rich country. Norway was a really poor country mm. until they found oil in, I think, in the 70s. It was a really one of the poorest countries in Europe. So it's a different image just back then. So all she was doing was taking care of her mom and her siblings. And by the way, uh, Nora, Nora took care of, of uh, again, of her husband when he was desperate. These he are does. women who just are sacrificing what they really desire. Yep. And all they really desire is really, I think Christine, all she desired was to be with Crocs. That she really wanted to be with his man, but couldn't. And as Nora said, hundreds of thousands of women uh, would do the same. They sacrifice and sacrifice and, and sacrifice. And they do. And, and this is, this is yeah. what well, happens Well, we're assuming day. that that's true. Why shouldn't the men do some of these as well? Why shouldn't they sacrifice? Well, but no, no empirical evidence was provided for that. What's that? Just no, like, she just says women sacrifice every day and men don't. Well, I didn't see any evidence for that. Uh, her working That's all two people. the time. And... Well, she's yeah, o- yeah. He's, on, he's only at his stage, he's only that successful because she did that illegal thing and because she took care of him. And Ibsen's place well, he would have died he otherwise. Care of the children. So she, she, uh, thank you. she keeps you, her husband yes. alive. I mean, yes. Yeah, right. I think she'd be a very morally re- reprehensible person if she didn't. Well, yeah, what, and for what, him not to thank her for keeping him alive, the first thing that out of his mouth should have been like, Wait, it was you that was keep like saved my life. I agree. Yes. I agree. yes. So he totally yes. missed. He, he reacts so horribly there. I think yeah, it was, we don't agree thing, on that part. You know, uh, the thing about yeah. Torvald Helmer, he's not a malicious, evil person. He's an ignorant no. person. Ignorant. That's it. Yeah. Yes. That's all. I just is. think all overbearing. Of the, we don't need to disagree because we're talking very long. And the actual play, you can read it in an hour, and we're going to we've been over an hour talking about the it. kids. The kids who are still <laughs> listening are the kids who are listening are having fun, right? So, I mean, but that's that's the whole point of the play. The play makes a really important message that was needed at the time and i'll accept that just yes. for the when you when you buy into the characters i want to see them be together yeah the yeah that's all that's that's you know? that's, that's, and that's I think the that romantic in you yeah it is. or but just give them a chance you're not very you know? much of a realist we get it i'm not i'm very divorced <laughs> from reality um but i think <laughs> that, that every, i think that everyone deserves a chance you know <laughs> i think that even the most moral even cross krogard got his chance i can never remember his name everyone deserves Krogstad. Everyone deserves a chance, you know? Yeah, yeah. Once, that's, that's, she could enlighten her husband here. She could say, you've done everything wrong for eight years, blow his mind, and then he could improve, you know? Just give yeah. us that chance. I think it's if a, this it's... were a realist play, that would have been probably a bit better. Mm. And maybe even if it were a 2022 play where men are a bit more aware about these things, but this is a very groundbreaking thing, and I feel like drastic 
measures were needed. Yeah. Maybe it's hit close to home for myself. I just saw two broken-hearted men, and I'm very yeah, sad. that's fair enough. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's fair enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. To talk about finish off, I suppose, why this is called Dolls House. I just wanted to quote, if you don't, oh, yeah. if you don't mind, guys, from uh, go ahead. Why why it's called Dolls House? So. Uh, he says um, he's shocked that she's not happy because she says, well, no, never. I thought I was, but I wasn't really uh, not, not happy. No, just gay. No, you've always been so kind to me, but our house has never been anything but a playroom. Mm-hmm. I've been your dull wife just, at, just as at home I was daddy's dull child. And the children, mm-hmm. turn, have been my dolls. I thought it was fun when you came and played with me just as they thought it was fun when I went and played mm-hmm. with them. That's been our marriage, Torvald. So that's why it's called Doll's yeah, House. Yeah, it's very, very important, very powerful passage. I think she was Over happier there. in ignorance. And for me personally, yeah, that's, I would that's like to live point. in that yeah. ignorance. I would that's like to live point. in that ignorance. You know? That's ignorance a good point. So you would, uh, in the philosophical uh, like discussion, you would take the machine that like, turns you into yeah. an ugly blob. But For, for years, happiness. I thought I wouldn't. PJ, when we studied philosophy together, I thought... Socrates dissatisfied is better than a swine satisfied. I thought all that matters is having knowledge, right? Uh, in the last year or so, I've realized, no, that's trash. And um, the most, the smartest people I know are the most unhappy people. And all that really yeah. matters, I would, I would jump straight in the machine, give me a lie and make me happy because I'm going to die at some point anyway. Mm. And I might as well be happy until then. And I think that's, that that's she, she has a moment of no return where she can't, she can't mm. be happy with a lie anymore. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a sad thing, actually. Sad. You know? I think, yeah, if she could, she might have gone back to that. But I, I Mentally, think she, she couldn't needs... have. You know? No, but also I think that she shouldn't go back to it. She needs to figure out what's next in her life and where what, she's going to grow from what now I, on and what then I, decide yeah. what may be better. What I also want to mention is, again, Kierkegaard and making decisions. And if you read Per Gint, which is my favorite Ibsen play, an earlier play, I highly recommend it because Per Gint is a very long play. And particularly in the second half, Per Gint becomes obsessed of the self. He starts to look for what is his self. And actually, the ending is kind of, I won't spoil it, but it's really about him thinking he never found himself because it's from him being a young man to a very old man. And he expands in this play, this, the idea of self is, is, again, it appears at the end. I thought, oh, this is very different. This doesn't have the philosophical depths of Peregrine, and it doesn't until Act 3. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, she does talk about finding herself, just like Peregrine looked for his self. So yeah. it's very important to uh, put in the context. Ibsen is trying to give, and Peregrine, it's a man. But he does, it was a doll's house onward. It's the woman. And he says, like, women should find their own identity. They can be family woman, but they can also just be anything they want. And that's, I, and that's I, I agree. So, I agree. I just, yeah. it, it's just sad to me people don't end up in love. But I totally. do think, I want to, I want to mention one thing. I don't know if you know the Scottish band Deacon Blue. They have a song called Chocolate Girl. And there's a lyric that for me just is very, very similar to her doll like oh. life. Um, and the guy thinks that he's doing everything right and he's, he's messing it all up essentially and he says mm-hmm. he calls her the chocolate girl because he thinks she melts when he touches her she knows she's the chocolate girl because she's broken up and swallowed and wrapped in bits of silver mm-hmm. and like wow. I kind of saw Nora like that like he thinks everything's perfect she's his little doll his little lark and they're all happy mm-hmm. and then she's actually just like she is a bird in a cage you know mm-hmm. yeah well so if we need to if we need to get you a happy play, <laughs> Dean, uh, we can look at maybe importance of being earnest. That's yeah, a nice ending or uh, Twelfth Night. That might also help. Yeah, <laughs> I think that uh, next we're very limited. Do... PJ, do you want to tell us what we're doing next? 
Uh, I believe we're doing Joe JC, right? We're on vacation, I think, right? Is that the quote? Are we on vacation? <laughs> Is <laughs> this a holiday? holiday? <laughs> Julius Caesar, the one Julius and only. Caesar. A very well, happy play, look, right? There. I like to end these by saying, you know, if it's a Shakespeare play, have a Shakespearean day, but but don't have an Ibsen day because they all end up sad. So I They know. all end up sad. I also <laughs> wanted to mention, just to finalize, guys, that if you want to get into this, I also recommend this, his Swedish um contemporary at the time august strindberg maybe miss julie would be the perfect one because mm. it's interesting it has it's all set in one scene and and in miss julie it's it's at the time is almost natural in the sense of there's no time lapse really and also it's about a woman who maybe com- commits a, a mistake regrets it and um, wants to come come out of it i suppose okay. in a different kind of way to ibsen so it's also very interesting reading um, Strindberg, who actually, mm. uh, all, who actually really disliked Ibsen. They were he was oh. kind of jealous of Ibsen. Wow. Indeed. So, yeah. My final final thought is going to be: although we disagree about the ending, it's a short play. I recommend everyone read it, and we did all oh, really yeah. enjoy it. Okay, we disagree oh, yes. about the last ten percent oh, or whatever. It's but an we A. We all love the play. It's, so. It deserves an A. <laughs> it, it does, deserves yeah. an A. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I, I, and it is among the most controversial plays ever performed and still is, obviously, as we're talking about. So I think everyone would be happy for this long discussion about it. Uh, and read Ghosts, even more <laughs> controversial. And just after this play, I think, or one play after this, maybe. Um, so if you want to get even deeper and it doesn't have a happy ending at all, it's even okay, I'm not doing that play. <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a, a fantastic play. Uh, I recommend okay. to you, Alex, at least Ghosts. Well, and if you want... If you want more from us, come check us out on Patreon at BooksBoys or BooksBoys.com for more episodes. That's it. Guys, this has been Playboys Extra. Have a sad, broken-hearted day. (laughs) 